0: Startup Experts is a 1000 plus member organization of finance ops and HR leaders that come together in person and online to build relationships, to learn from one another and to support each other personally and professionally. While no one member is an expert in all things, collectively our combined experience is extraordinary and our passion for learning is unparalleled. This podcast is about amazing people, their perspectives on our ever-changing world and how we adapt to these changes as leaders. My name is Jesse Fries, and this podcast is about becoming better with startup experts. I have a confession to make. I'm an avid podcast listener, and I've always wanted to create my own. In part, it's because I'm fascinated by people, and it's a rare day that doesn't go by when I don't talk to someone interesting. And many times after such discussions, I regret not having recorded it so I could share what I learned. I am constantly learning and am frequently inspired by those around me, especially other startup experts' members. What would stop me from creating a podcast, you might ask? Well, it was fear to put myself out in a recorded format. I've hosted hundreds of in-person events, panels, and meetups through the years, and while I might be considered a good connector, I'm not a really polished orator. I don't hit my scripts perfectly, At best, I can host a decent conversation, ask a few relatively good questions, and keep an event on schedule. This said, I believe that we are all interested in becoming better, and I am no exception. This podcast is me putting myself out there in a slightly raw state with the hope that you will witness me and this podcast become better over time. Thank you to my guests current and future for allowing me to learn from each recorded interaction, and thank you for your patience, support, encouragement, as you follow me on my journey. I appreciate you. My name is Jesse Freeze, and I'm the host of Becoming Better with Startup Experts. I'm really excited about this discussion, our first in this new podcast series with the amazing Payal Mashwari. I was first introduced to Payal a few years back when another Startup Experts member came to me and said, you gotta meet Payal, she's amazing. And he was right. I've known Payal for a number of years, both virtually and in person. She originally lived in the Bay Area, and ironically, I didn't know her when she was here, but she moved with her family to Philadelphia during the pandemic, which we talk about in the following interview. She's played such an impactful role here at Startup Experts on our leadership team, attended events with us at Transform, and has helped support many of our programs. She's even highlighted on our webpage. I've invited her to be our very first guest because if you've not met her yet, it's time that you did. Please welcome Pyle to our new podcast, Becoming Better with Startup Experts. I hope you enjoy our discussion.
1: My name is Payal, and I've been in the HR space for about 15 plus years.
0: <laughs> I find it really fascinating that you are... Actively in the people operations space, you're leading HR at a fast growing company, yet you started your career by getting an MBA and being an analyst at Lehman Brothers. Tell me about that beginning of your career and how you've now pivoted to an entirely different field.
1: Yeah. (laughs) So I have an undergrad degree in business. And at the time, like you you go and you become a banker consultant. And so I didn't know anything about HR. And I think that's one of the sad things the human resources and people operations space is that it just doesn't get as much visibility for the amount of impact that it has on businesses. But yeah, had an undergrad business degree, went and worked at Lehman Brothers. I was there in 08. I left just a couple of weeks before. You saw the videos online with people walking off with their boxes. And it was a wild time. You're in the thick of it. And then you could start to see when the chips were falling and things weren't looking so good. And I think leading for me, in the turbulent times, the stronger a culture, the easier those times go. I didn't know any better. And in that job at Lehman, I realized that for me, it's a hard job, right? It was a hard job. You're working 100-hour weeks on a regular basis. I was looking around and I was like, wait, no one really looks like me no one really understands my path to here, or I'm looking at the people above me and I'm like, I don't know if I want that path. And to have no mentorship in your first job out of college in the real world, I was really disoriented. And so I got very involved in the women's network with diversity and inclusion initiatives, because at the time, like the investment banking unit was like 10% women. And between that and some of the other activities I got involved in in terms of community building, I realized that for me, work was about, of course, the work, but also about creating connection and community because you spend so much time there. Funny thing was, I'd actually was thinking about moving into HR at Lehman and had an offer to go work for the chief diversity officer. The funding for the role, of course, in 08 gets pulled. And so I didn't know what I wanted to do. I moved back home and worked at a nonprofit for a few years, made $28,000 a year living on my parents' couch. And I would have been happy doing that work forever. But they were like, hello, you need a paycheck. You need to go. I went back and I got my MBA only because it was a path that I knew. And in retrospect, I see so many programs out there around industrial psychology and just HR and even whether it's like accredited universities or so many people in our community are building programs for HR leaders, those didn't exist then. And so I didn't even know to do that. But anyway, once I got into my MBA program, I was pretty clear I wanted to go into human capital in some way, shape or form. And I just wasn't sure exactly how to navigate it. And it was non-traditional and I felt like the weirdo that didn't want to go get some lucrative job in consulting or banking, but I felt like there was something there and to have a seat at the table and to impact a part of the business that I think is really valuable, just, it was motivating.
0: Wow. That's amazing.
1: Yeah. I think it's interesting, right? Because I was talking to someone and they're like, wow, you have a lot of experience. And I was like, oh, that just means I'm old. But it made me think a little bit about what's driven me over the last 15, 20 years in my career. And I think it's creating spaces where people can truly be their best selves at work. And I know that sounds a little cliche, but I think to a certain degree, In so many organizations, you've got really visionary leadership and you've got a ton of energy and connecting those two and having alignment, when you're able to create the spaces where people can do their best work, where they feel safe, where they're able to build community, the performance level just increases, like explodes really. As a brief introduction, my passion is building those spaces and creating those environments and finding that alignment so that organizations are marching in the same direction um, versus there's a lot of places where there's a lot of friction in that process. And that creates a lot of slowdowns and people aren't doing their best work.
0: Amazing. And so at Embark Trucks, which is your most recent employer, how did you achieve that?
1: Oh, man. <laughs> I think one of the one of the great things about small organizations is that you can move fast, break things, try new things, and you're not holding on to as much debt or people debt, technical debt, that type of stuff, because things are new and fresh. I was lucky when I started at Embark, it was less than 100 people. When I first started, I sat down with every employee from the CEO all the way down to we have truck drivers and operators and folks that have had much different career backgrounds. And I sat down with everyone for 30 to 60 minutes, learned about their lives, learned about what matters to them at work, what creates excitement for them personally. And then as an organization, what was going well and where there were opportunities. Not everyone has the luxury of being able to build those personal connections. But for me, Building that and creating that trust, I think, then led to a lot of trust in the process as we thought about people and culture. But really, it's about are we making decisions for the least common denominator or for everyone else? And I think a lot of HR organizations, it's mitigating risk is how you're making the decisions versus, hey, yes, there's risks and there's laws and compliance that we have to adhere to but how do we build for our best performers versus our worst performers?
0: Yeah, that's very interesting. And in particular, the questions that you asked newer employees, what matters to you and what excites you? I wanna turn that around and ask that of you. Personally, what matters to you and and what excites you? Tell us a little bit about you.
1: Yeah, it's, I am just fascinated by people, and stories. So mm-hmm. I love listening to what got you where you are. Who are you? What does your family look like? Where did you grow up? All of these stories, I think for me, is like the most exciting part of work or life. You know, I'm a an extreme extrovert, I would say, where being around people and listening and talking and having deep conversations of the core of who you are, that's my favorite part of life. And I think when you translate that into work over time, one of the things I love doing is building really deep relationships with leaders and managers and people who have impact on other people's lives. And then having the conversations around, hey, like this thing that you do that is a defense mechanism or something that was embedded 20 years ago because of whatever life things were happening, is that really serving you? And by doing or having these behaviors or practices, are you the best people leader you can be? Or are you the best leader in general that you can be? That's what gets me out of bed every day is being able to have that very personal impact on the people I work with. It's not necessarily the most scalable version of HR, but I've seen it be really impactful when the most senior people in the organization have a place to go where they can be themselves and be vulnerable.
0: I saw that you were getting your leadership coaching certification. And I would imagine that's why you're so passionate about that.
1: Yeah. I think for me, coaching is such a, there's a lot of coaches out there now (laughs) and it's a big booming field, partly because of need and partly because of the impact that you can have. But a few years ago, I met a coach that just changed the way that I started thinking about who I was as a leader and who I was as a person. And the ability to create that space for other people, I think is so powerful. Yeah, I spent way too much money and way too much time, but it was just learning the skills of active listening in a way that is so different than the way our world works, right? It's almost like unlearning everything you know about work where you're like, I'm on it. I'm a type A, I'm getting things done. And then learning this whole different skill set of, wait, my job is just to create space for other people to work through whatever challenges they're having in the workplace.
0: Can you tell us a little bit about where you grew up, about your high school, maybe a bit about your friends?
1: Gosh, high school. (laughs) I'll say, so I grew up mostly in Ohio. And then we moved to Virginia in the middle of high school. And I think that was like a really big pivotal moment for me as the child of immigrant parents growing up in Ohio. I kind of had these two lives, this like school version of me where I was the only Indian kid at a high school of 2000 people or middle school, elementary school. And then on the weekends, my parents were very social, very active in like the community and the temple. And so I had these like weekends where I was really with a lot of people with my background, ethnicity, that type of thing. And during the weekdays, I was living a different life and covering or hiding lots of parts of myself, right? I grew up vegetarian and that was just not a thing in the middle of Ohio (laughs) at that time. And then we moved to Virginia and I thought, oh my gosh, at the time, my impression of Virginia was like, oh my God, I'm moving to the middle of nowhere. But it ended up being outside of the DC suburbs. And that to me was like all of a sudden it was just this life-changing amount of diversity, people from all these different backgrounds. I went to a public high school, but there were senators, kids, and people whose parents were in the CIA because our school was right next to the CIA. And it was just fascinating because all of a sudden these ideals and these things that had been instilled in me that were weird not weird, but academics were really important to my family and my parents. And I followed that path and I had to hide that I got good grades when I was in Ohio because I didn't want people to think I was weird. And then you get to an area where education, diversity, all of these things matter in such a different way. It was like, whoa. I think that was important for me to like come into my own at a certain point in my life and say, wait a minute, I have a seven-year-old now and we talk about, I was like, it's okay to be weird. And he's, it is? I thought weird was a bad thing. No, I think it's okay because all of us are weird in so many different ways. And so often in our childhood, you're just trying to navigate that. But yeah, I've been lucky. Like I've, I come from very social parents and I'm very social by nature. I always felt bad for my introverted brother in our household because he was just like, what is happening? There are just like people everywhere. It's a zoo. But I've been lucky. I think that ability and especially Indian culture is for those who had experience. There's a lot of really amazing things, a lot of community, a lot of culture. And then there's a lot of opinions because everyone's in your business. But I think part of that has made me successful in the people space because I have empathy for so many different viewpoints or how people got to where they are and what influences they may have had. Yeah. I don't know. That's I haven't thought about that in a long time, but I guess it does connect to what I do now.
0: Yeah, hundred percent. I can tell you are extremely passionate about life, about work. How do you maintain work-life balance? I
1: don't know if anybody, you may be one of the best people I know on work-life balance, (laughs) Jesse, getting out in nature as much as you do. I don't, I don't know. I've heard so many people say work-life balance, work-life harmony, all of the things. I think it's a daily negotiation of what matters and what's important today, And having some anchoring things on a like broader long-term scale. I'm very lucky. I have a spouse who's, you know, he meditates and does yoga for like an hour and a half a day and he wakes up early and he does it. And it's his thing. I think having that kind of a partner really balances me out because I can get in my head and I can get into the work zone. I'm like, I gotta do this. I gotta do this. I gotta stay up. I was up until 1130 writing some comms last night and It's actually, is that the healthiest thing for me to do? Not only for myself, but also for my company. I don't know. I don't know if I have the world's best answer for this. I'm very lucky that I have someone who balances me out and is constantly like, Hey, let's pull back because we know what happens if you go too far into the work zone. And then for those those people that are listening that have kids, they're they need things. They need to be fed and clothed and taken places. <laughs> and so you just have to take a take a beat and and walk away from the computer every once in a while. I will say remote work has made it harder for me personally because there's How so? just, the separation of space is hard right i'm working in the same rooms that i'm living in i think it comes with a double-edged sword on the one hand like i can pick my kid up from school and it's 20 minutes out of my day versus if i'm at an office there's no way i'm coming back to where i live to do that but for me sitting with someone in person and having a conversation is far more energizing than doing it through a screen it's more draining and getting out is more of an effort, right? Whereas in the offices and you're like, Hey, it's a sunny day outside in San Francisco. Let's just go for a walk around the block and do our one-on-one that way. The effort to say, Hey, you know what? I'm going to call you on the phone and go down the stairs and walk out the door and walk around the block. Like I just, some, sometimes I'm better at it than other times, but I think it depends on your personality. I want to be around people in that, way where you can pass kinetic energy because it's energizing. I think it's different people, different flavors of life. And I do think that hybrid, I think all remote is one way. And then people find a good balance there as an organization. I think all in person, whether it's hybrid or not, there's some kind of streamlined thing there I think the middle ground of some remote, some hybrid, some in the office, like that's the one that's really hard for me to think about in terms of getting balance.
0: Yeah. No, and I recall when, and correct me if my facts are askew, you know, when COVID started, you were here in the San Francisco Bay Area. But when the organization, like most, went home, everybody yeah. went back. You migrated back to the Philadelphia area to be near family and yeah. manage HR from afar. Share that experience a little.
1: Yeah. I think the pandemic was. We were relatively new transplants to the Bay Area and I think my husband and I both loved where we lived and loved the weather and all of the excitement around people doing really interesting things in their career zone because everyone's doing something neat in the Bay Area. I think that there were probably a couple things. One, all of our family, had they're all on the East Coast and That was already hard. People were traveling to see us pre-pandemic, but then once the pandemic hit, for my kid at the time, he was three. He was literally packing up suitcases and pretending he was getting on an airplane to go see his grandparents. And that was hard to watch. That was really hard. And then my brother had a baby in the pandemic and they lived in Philly and... I didn't meet her until she was nine months old. And when I met her, I was like, oh no, I cannot be absent from this little one's life. And yeah, now we are all family all the time. My brother lives four blocks up the street. My in-laws are 30 minutes away. My parents are- Amazing. (laughs) So it's a balance. Again, I think back to the question that you had started around work-life balance harmony, we intentionally made a move for family and now we have a lot of family. But it requires me to travel back to the Bay Area a lot for work. And I'm okay with that. And my family is okay with that. And they all understand that work is an important part of my life because I care for it so deeply. And we have the mechanisms to out for more travel because we've got a lot of babysitters.
0: <laughs> yeah. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about your experience with Startup Experts. You served on our leadership team for two terms, so almost over a year. would love to hear your experience with the community and why you feel so passionate about this group.
1: I don't know if you remember when I joined, but it was right around the pandemic, like right before. And when that pandemic hit, gosh, HR needed help. They needed friends. And for me, that was the, Startup Experts was much smaller back then a couple of years ago where, you could just build some real connections and talk to people about, golly, I'm struggling. This is bizarro world that none of us have experienced. Mm-hmm. And so having information about what other companies were doing was helpful, but also just being able to go to a group that was willing to be vulnerable, that was impactful. I remember once things were starting to get socially distanced, we had some outdoor like masked, just high other human type events. And <laughs> those happen much sooner than some of the work, not even going back into the office, but the work socially distanced things. I have this phrase that I've been playing with a little bit. It's people leaders are sort of everything everywhere all the time. Yeah, And it's a lot. There's so many things that fall into the bucket of what a people leader is responsible for. Some of it is fair and some of it is not as fair (laughs) to have a community of people that you can trust and go to that are going through similar ups and downs and sideways and navigating all of the different expectations that are on you as a single leader at an organization. It's powerful. What I found with startup experts is the attitude about this is about giving and not just taking. And I I know everyone who joins is asked to read the Go Giver book. I think that's what makes the place so special for me is that everyone is willing to give their time, their energy, their information, their listening ear. And sometimes when I'm giving that to other members of the community, I'm like, well, I learned things that I didn't know I I was going to learn in this conversation because I thought I was helping you. And actually, it's really bilateral. It's very emotional, I think, for me to talk about the impact of Startup Experts because it has been the place that I have gone for work and advice, but also for friendship in the last few years. And that's big.
0: Yeah, thank you for sharing. That's really kind. We'll be right back after this message. I thought I'd take a brief moment to share something that I found to be true. I've worked in the HR space for over 20 years, and one of the most challenging things that a people leader encounters is supporting employees during life-changing events. One of these occurrences is managing employee leave because it requires juggling a complicated and changing landscape of HR rules, state laws, IRS regulations, company policy, and of course, your employees' well-being. Few leaders are an expert in this space, which is why here at Startup Experts, we are proud to partner with Sparrow. If you're seeking support and help with your company's leave program, we encourage you to visit www.trysparrow.com. Thank you. Now let's return to our discussion. I'm curious about your career and how you've spent the last 10 plus years growing your experience within the HR space. What advice do you have for newer HR leaders entering this industry and how they can grow their own career?
1: Yeah. I don't know. I feel like I need just as much as advice <laughs> as I, I probably am willing to dish out. But I, I like the phrase that advice is just a, a way of sort of, it's its a little bit of nostalgia. And so I definitely don't think I have all of the answers. But for me, I referenced this earlier in our conversation, but people leaders are asked to do a lot. And I don't think you can be good at it. There might be those amazing unicorns out there that can balance it all, but if you really think about the people function, right, you're sitting with leaders, you're coaching executive teams, you're also responsible for a huge chunk of administrative and compliance work that's more than full-time job. You're responsible for employees and how they're feeling and the experience, diversity, inclusion, like the list goes on. So, from the minute someone walks into the door to the minute they leave, the people team is touching all of that. Yes, they have work, but who's talking to their managers? Who's coaching their leaders, right? Who's coaching them when they're having conflict resolution? It's a lot. The few things that I have learned is one, know what you're really good at and have confidence in that. And don't think about all the things you're not good at. Because if you do, the list is just not even it's too long. It'll get you down and you'll forget the reason that you're good at what you do. And I'll say that for me personally, right? I am much more oriented on the people, coaching, learning, development, leadership side of HR. You ask me an employment law question or something about registering in another state and my eyes are going to gloss over. (laughs) And so scaling and process and systems. I know enough, but it's not the thing that I love living in. For me, it's if you have a hire and you have just one, hire the person that is the complete opposite HR leader to you and hire someone senior who can block and tackle and give them the respect that, hey, listen, like you're a partner with me because I can do this stuff, but I cannot do this stuff. And so even in my current organization, I think I've had that in a couple of ways. Our leader of talent acquisition, He's was employee number six. He's done everything from being our GNA, our IT person, our onboarding, everything. He is phenomenal. I've never really had to touch talent acquisition because I didn't want to. And somebody else really senior had it. My first hire was someone to do people operations and administrative stuff like payroll because I knew that, yes, I could do it, but is it the highest and best use of my time? So I think really having a good understanding of what you like, what you're good at, and frankly, what people are willing to pay you for, and then building a team where the things you're not so good at or that need to happen are buffered around you. So I think that's one piece of advice is know what you know, who you are and don't lose confidence because you can't do this whole other realm of the world. Build it up over time.
0: What I'm hearing there is build a team that complements you so that you can identify your own weaknesses and bring in individuals that have strengths in those areas.
1: Yeah, absolutely, right? And like, for me in particular, I noticed that my role was so many fire drills all the time, and that I didn't have time to look three and six months around the corner, even though I knew, hey, performance management, or hey, comp cycle, whatever. So I hired someone just to do strategy and program management. And I gave up a hire somewhere else to say, look, I need someone who's doing the project management so that they can keep the train running because I'm not doing it as well. And then everything becomes a fire. And negotiating with your leaders as well to say, Here's where I know I'm world-class. Here's where I need help. And being honest, vulnerable, and clear about that and not making it be like, oh gosh, I have a deficiency in this area. And especially for HR leaders, because it's not a deficiency. It's literally a lack of time or a lack of interest or whatever it might be, but there's too many expectations on any given day. So that's my first piece of advice is know what you're good at, know what you're not, get consultants, get Hires get whatever you can to buffer up the things that you don't have time or energy or interest in doing. Yeah. And then it's a constant negotiation with your leadership team to have a seat at the table and being clear with your CEO or with your C suite of this is what I plan to bring to the table. And there's going to be times where business decisions are going to be more important than some of the people things I'm bringing to the table, but it's all intertwined. And that open line of communication is so vital. Because I knew so much of what was happening in the business in particular, I was able to see, okay, wait a minute, no one is thinking about how we're communicating this. All right, that's a ball I'm taking. And so I ended up doing a ton of employee communications around our IPO, around just if anybody has seen the news, there's a lot going on right now. And there's tons of business stuff happening, but knowing where you can plug in as a people leader because you understand the human aspect of the business is pretty important and don't be shy and don't wait for someone to say, hey, you can own this. It's like, this is a problem. I'm going to handle it. Tell me if you have a problem with me taking this on. I think that's important too.
0: That's a common thread that I often hear when I'm talking to HR leaders is working to get better visibility and to influence senior leaders and particularly the board. What advice would you give to other HR leaders that might not be getting that access?
1: Yeah, it's hard. I often talk about how much invisible work happens in the HR function. And it's not fair all the time because sometimes that invisible work is what makes the organization go. And I've seen so many leaders that are so passionate and so many folks within the HR function that are holding, they're the glue that holding everything together and they're not getting that credit. Um, probably a few things, right? Know what really matters and know what you're doing because you like it. I really like building employee culture and I will take phone calls at six in the morning or at midnight sometimes because someone needs me and realizing at a certain point, I am doing that for me. I'm doing that because I care about this person and I want to help. Is it good for the organization? Yes, but is it what my boss is asking me to do with my time? No, really. Right. And so I've had to have these conversations with my CEO where he's like, hey, I feel like you're, you know, you're spending, or or me actually, vice versa, being like, look, I'm spending 90% of my time on stuff that you're not seeing. And once you say that out loud, you're like, oh, (laughs) actually, (laughs) maybe what I think my job isn't what my leader thinks my job is. Mm. So I think, again, that alignment around what is my job and when things are falling apart, what do I absolutely have to do? And what am I doing because I want to do it? Partly for me and partly for the company. Because it's easy to build that resentment of, I don't have a seat at the table, but I'm doing so much and it's not fair. And I'm so tired. And I've been in those states. And I think what I've learned is that's actually on you. Caring too much is actually not always the best thing. And the leaders that I've seen that can get a little emotional distance, are able to be impactful at a broader level and it just matters like what kind of impact you want to have and there are times where i'm like you know what i don't even care i don't even care what credit i'm getting it's fulfilling enough for me to be good at the employee or manager level and forget leadership and then there's been times where i'm like okay my job is actually to systematize this or to roll this out on a scale process that individual connection piece that doesn't scale. And so having the tough conversation with yourself, what advice would you give yourself right now? You're in the weeds about stuff that doesn't matter. The summary there would be get alignment, Mm -hmm. figure out who you're working for and what they care about and see if that aligns with what you care about and how you want to
0: spend your time. I want to thank you, Payal, for sharing your wisdom. It's always great to chat and learn more about you. I'm forever fascinated by your background and your passion for this topic. Do you have any last thoughts or comments you'd like to share?
1: This is fun. (laughs) Thank you. No, thank you, Jesse. And thank you for creating this community that is so powerful. And I said it before, and I'll say it again. Some of these things don't happen just out of nowhere. And so thank you for all the work that you do. And It is not invisible. I think it is impactful to so many of us that are here and have found a home in Startup
0: Experts. So thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed the previous discussion. If you are interested in learning more about Startup Experts and potentially becoming a member, please visit www.startupexperts.us. The community was created over five years ago for finance, ops, and HR leaders to meet, share knowledge, and support one another. Since we all work cross-functionally together in-house at our respective companies, we believe that it's incredibly valuable to have a community where we can also learn each other's perspectives. This podcast, Becoming Better with Startup Experts, will, in part, explore these roles and how we can effectively work together. I hope you will subscribe.